Have you ever had somebody come into your life that has surprised you, that's come to you into your life in an unexpected way and radically changes it for good? There are people in your life who come into your life who aim to destroy it, right? You can think about them, that overly harsh teacher or that coach could be a bully, could be an abuser, maybe that unrelenting boss, somebody who continues to supply you with substances that do not satisfy, do not help. It could be all the way from drugs and alcohol to that extra piece of cake, right? Well, I'm, uh, I'm not talking about the people who make you feel heavier rather than lighter after engaging with them. I'm talking about people who actually are change agents for good in your life. I'm talking about the person who maybe comes into your life as a supposed chance encounter and they, they just drop a line. They say something to you. They encourage you. And all of a sudden, that's just a little shift and it, it causes you to, to follow Jesus, to do good in your life. I've learned to call these the I see in you conversations when somebody says, this is what I see in your life that God has put in there. For example, maybe somebody says, I see this. I see how you're a caring person. You, you really should be maybe a, a doctor or a nurse or a, a pastor. Or maybe someone says, boy, you really, you really love to study. You should become a teacher. Some of you just have a heart for telling others about Jesus and someone calls it out in you and says, you know, you're an evangelist. You're, an, you're, a, you're a missionary. And with those words that seem like a whisper from your creator, you finally find your purpose in life. Those type of people are major boosters to your life, aren't they? Have you ever met them? They're, they're rare. They change your life for good. Other people who unexpectedly change your life, even if you do expect them, are babies. Think about how like a helpless little baby has the power to so change your life. They, they make you get up in the night, right? Like you're in the dead of sleep and this little baby makes you get up. Or makes you do like really silly faces and crawl on the floor. Or they make you pay for tons of things that only last for a few months. Baby Malachi, who we dedicated to the Lord today, has really changed Bethan Free's life forever and for the good. And we're glad, especially if you're family today, that uh, you're here. And we want to remind you that God gives us children, whether they're adopted or born or fostered, and they add so much good to our lives. Another example of a person changing their lives for good is what happened to our family over Christmas. Right after Christmas Eve service, we got in a car and drove all night and drove all the way 20 hours to Kansas, where um, Lori's family lives. And um, we wanted to make it on Christmas Day, be not just for Christmas, but because Lori's uh, mom was having her 70th birthday. And so we drove all night, slept us maybe like an hour at the rest area. There's, there's nothing open. Not even McDonald's is open on Christmas Day down in the States. Just the Waffle House. And, uh, <laughs> and it's got more expensive, by the way. Um, and so we, we arrive in Kansas, and like we're, we're just exhausted, but we give each other hugs. 
because um, all of our extended family are spread out all over North America, so we don't get to see each other very often. And we're trying to catch up a little bit, and in walks this dark-skinned, tall stranger. And immediately we recognize this, this young man as the boyfriend of Lori's younger sister, Danae. And he had come home unexpectedly. This was a total surprise to, uh, to meet the family. And he's a six-foot-five Venezuelan gift from God. No, seriously, that's what his name means. Jonathan means gift from God. So you can see why I would love him so much, right? And um, we immediately fell in love with him. I especially did because, not just because he uh, was, has an awesome name and he's a fellow foreigner, um, but also because he is a baseball player. He's a pitcher. He even got to try out for the Baltimore Orioles and, and Boston Red Sox. And um, blew his arm in the tryout and actually came to faith in Christ because of that. It's, it's an amazing story. And immediately Jonathan kind of gathers us around in, in his, his broken English. He just learned English over the last five years. Um, he... Uh, he started asking these like sub-level questions that made our family go really deep. Like, what do you, what are the three things that you appreciate most about the, the Henry sisters? And I was like, wow. And then he started asking like, could you tell me what you all appreciate about each other? And we started having this amazing like two or three hour deep level talk of encouragement of one another. And uh, I guess he must have, um, he, he really tried to find out what was right about us, not what was wrong about us. And he must have liked what he heard because two days later, we all gathered, all 15 of us, and we were just like pinned against the windows, our noses against the windows, as we watched um, Danae and Jonathan um, in the backdrop of Christmas lights in the backyard that the family had helped get all together. He danced with her, and then he got down on one knee and he asked Danae to marry her. My little niece came out with a, with a bag with uh, the ring in it. And she said, yes, or si, senor. I don't know which it was exactly. <laughs> and they, uh, they're getting married. And this, this young man um, has really changed our family. It was one of the best Christmases ever. All because one man came into our life. This reminds me of another person who came into the life of a whole nation and it radically changed their lives for good. If you'd like to read about it, it's in Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. You can look that up in your hard copy of God's Word or you can Google that, look it up on your smartphone. And today as we begin this new year, I want us to understand this really simple truth. I want to keep it really simple. Um, God will use somebody unexpected to accomplish His purpose in your life. I'll say that again because maybe we've had a little too much eggnog or uh, maybe we're still in vacation mode from Christmas, but God will use somebody unexpected to accomplish his purpose in your life. I foresee 2019 as a year of change in our family and with our church family. As I look ahead to the year, there's lots of change. It starts tonight. I believe that this Meaning of Marriage series will really change your life. If you, if you come and you watch this, and it really help your marriages and, and encourage you. And you might think, well, my marriage is going pretty good. 
it can always get better, right? So I think it's going to be life-changing. Then I look, uh, look ahead to Thursday when uh, Lori and Luke and I had to Togo, and we've been trying to pray to, to reach the Tuzian people, and this is another effort in that, and to uh, encourage our missionaries, Kwashi and Davy Amanudzi, and, um, and to be a part of some clean water projects there in Togo and Benin. And then on January 27th, we revealed the Master's Plan 4.0 and the latest plans. Like, if everything goes according to plan, if we get approval from, from the city, can you imagine? Like, our whole building will look a lot different. All in an effort to reach children and family. We're spending so much money just to try to reach families and, and, and have a greater community. We, we love children. In February, my son Josiah hopes to get his driver's license, so I want you to be cautious of that and to clear the streets. As I continue walk through the year, then in March, we have our annual celebration on March 3rd, followed by my niece getting married in Boston on St. Patrick's Day. Then in the spring, we hope to put shovels in the ground for 4.0. And on top of that, my daughter's supposed to graduate from high school. I was being serious, Beth and Free, when I said that, like, you just blink and your kids grow up. It's, it's crazy. And then hopefully this fall, we get to travel to Washington State, um, our family, with, uh, to see Danae and Jonathan's wedding. And so those are just a few of the things happening in our family and in our church family. And as you can see, we need somebody who God will use to accomplish his purposes in our life. We need to seek this person. We need God to provide this person to us. And this is why we have this theme for the year. We're going to give God no rest. We're going to give God no rest. We're going to go after him. We're going to pursue him. You might say, well, where does that come from? There's this awesome verse that I just learned about. I, I've read it over, but it, it just jumped out to me as I learned about it at the Feb National Convention. It's from Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. And it says this, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. Wow, like we're supposed to be watching, expecting what God would do protecting, keep going, to keep, keep our eyes on, on the culture, keep our eyes on the Lord. And then it says this, you who call on the Lord, that's prayer, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. I'm, I'm like asking God to like, I'm going to give you no rest, God, because I want to see Canada one for Jesus Christ. I want people to know Jesus Christ. I want this world to be changed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to reach at least 1% of the world. So we're going to give God no rest. And in order to do that, our staff have dedicated some prayer days. Um, and we're, we're asking that you would join us. You can mark these on your calendar. The first one is January 28th. And it's when our whole staff's going to gather. And if maybe you're, you're um, off work that day or off school, you're welcome to join us as we pray that God would do mighty things in our midst. And we're praying that God would give us men and women that are fully devoted to him and who unexpectedly accomplish God's purposes in our homes, church, and community, and country, and globe. So let's read about such a man in Ezra, Chapter 1, verse 1. Just one verse today. Please stay with me for the reading of God's word as we show reverence to God our Father. 
It says this in Ezra 1.1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord, and I love this, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Now, our memory verse, we have a habit of trying to memorize God's word, one verse per month. So do this in your small groups and in, in uh, your families. Here's the verse, and it's, it follows the very next verse from what we just read. Ezra 1, 2. We're just going to say it all together. Ezra 1, 2. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Okay, you memorize that in your families and small groups um, this week, and you may be seated. Probably many of us are not familiar with the book of Ezra, and in order to give you some background to the book of Ezra, uh, I've included kind of an overview on the book, on these blue sermon notes, and this will help you get an understanding of who wrote it and, and when and an outline and the purpose. And, and I think this will help you um, understand more about this book of Ezra. After concluding the book of Haggai that we did just before Christmas, this is the second book in our build series. And for those who are tracking with us from last fall, recall how Haggai emphasized refocusing on God's priorities. So I ask you a question. Is God number one in your life? Are you putting God number one in your life? That's a still a call to us. It's a call every day. We can easily lose sight of that. We now begin studying Ezra, which is a historical book giving much of the history of the Jews from 538 B.C. through 450 B.C. And the message of Ezra is all about spiritual restoration. I can still recall my days at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and they, they gave us um, certain key themes that we had to memorize for each book. And the book of Ezra was all about spiritual restoration. So I think it'd be helpful. Why don't we just say that together? Ezra's message is spiritual restoration. Do you think that's a relevant message? Do you think our country and our, our city and our globe needs spiritual restoration? Many people talk about being spiritual, right? But the question is, what are they spiritual about? Spirits love to be embodied. They, spirits love to be attached to something. So what does your spirituality attach itself to? Yoga? Spirituality of, of believing something so that it just will make it happen? Is your spirituality attached to the right thing? Is it, is it concrete or is it kind of ethereal? Is it grounded in history and facts? If not, it will crumble and it won't last. It will be like sinking sand that we talked about, that we sang about. The spirituality that will last is the one that is tied to the eternal. And the eternal is found through the Word of God, the Bible. And this is why so many of us need to be spiritually restored. We need to be restored to God through His Word. I would challenge you. Last year, we, we, we gave you a very intensive Bible reading program. I would challenge you to read one chapter 
of God's Word every day. Read it slowly, help, help you understand. Look at notes if you need to, if you have questions. We'd love as pastors and elders to talk to you further about that. But commit to reading God's Word every day. It will change you. It will change your heart. We find that God's Word is at what lasts, and it always comes true. And look what we see again in Ezra 1, verse 1. I'll read it again. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that's the prophet, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. My dad is going to give us a, a greater expose of what Cyrus wrote, Lord willing. We're going to do that next week, but for now we want to focus on the fulfillment of the primary writing, and that is this word of God. And in order to understand the fulfillment, you need to understand the predicament that God's people were in. You see, God's people, Israel, they had been promised by God just as a gift that they would be able to live in the land of Palestine. And if they followed God and they followed his commands, that they would get to continue to live in the land of Palestine. However, the people continued to do what they wanted to do. Their spirituality was often attached to the wrong things. Uh, God wanted them to be unique, but they, they really decided to become copycats and become like all the other nations so that they would, would follow and worship idols. Idols built by human hands. And so after repeated warnings, and I mean repeated, see, God was merciful for nearly... 500 years. In fact, even longer than that. He gave him warnings and he had, he had David and, and David's descendants on the throne as a reminder of God's promises. And finally says, God, God dealt with this. See, the Old Testament, we often are told God's not really merciful. He's very merciful and gracious. God's character does not change. And yet God is also just. And God promised that there would be consequences. He promised that long ago in Deuteronomy. The people were entering the land. And the consequences would be that the, the Israelites would be captured and then taken back to Babylon for 70 years. And we read about these, these consequences in Jeremiah 25, verses 1 through 14. I put it up on the screen. You can look it up in your own hard copy of God's Word. But here's, here's what we read in Jeremiah 25, 1 through 14. It's very specific. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you, but you have not listened. You've never, neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Like, they didn't even want to hear, Jeremiah is saying. Although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Notice that. 
Notice the grace lay straight in, in this, this prophecy. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Notice that God has in place government authorities who are his servants, even if they don't truly follow him. They're still his servants. And then the prophecy goes on and says, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them in horror, a hissing, yikes, and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamp. I mean, all the great things about life, work and marriage and all those things, those will come to an end. And this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations... And great kings shall make, shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. The word of God is very specific. And Jeremiah's words came true. The Jews were in the land of Babylon for 70 years. And then we read this, this other verse, and check this out from Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 11. It's just prior to one of the most famous and beloved verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11. And this is what it says. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will list you and I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to the place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. Wow. God promises a future and a hope even in the midst of being in exile, even in the midst of, of facing the consequences. Some of you are reading carefully, maybe skeptical that God's word was fulfilled because you'd say, well, Jeremiah prophesied that it's the king of Babylon that would be punished. Well, in fact, the Babylonian kings were punished for their pride and persecution of the Jews. God will use instruments sometimes to get our attention, but if they're too harsh against us, God will punish them for their, for their harshness. What I think is really fascinating is going back to Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, we see that God uses the king of Persia and the Persians took over for the Babylonians and occupied the same space. So the king of Persia was an extension of the king of Babylon, or what historians call the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Furthermore, a close inspection of Jeremiah 29.10 shows that the 70 years refers to Babylonian domination. It might be counted from 612 B.C., the fall of Nineveh with the Assyrians, to 539 B.C. in Cyrus's decree. And that's what Fensham says. So God's word proves accurate and true, but also encouraging. 
You see, even when God promises consequences, he also provides clemency. When God promises reprisals for our sin, he also promises restoration if we will return to him. So are you returning to him? See, we've all done wrong against God. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us have lived a perfect life. Our spirituality, our spirituality crumbles and needs restoring. And, and sometimes God will let us wallow in our sin and, and face some natural consequences, which maybe explains why you're going through a hard time right now. Maybe not. Maybe there's just a time of testing and character building. But maybe it's because of something that needs to be repented of and you need to turn back to God. God is... God loves you so much. He's jealous to have you as number one, uh, to have him as number one in your life. He wants your affection for, for himself only. And the best part is that God often uses somebody we least expect to restore us. God uses somebody unexpected to accomplish his purpose in our lives. We may be like one of those 403 errors on our computer screens. This um, past Friday, I was trying to apply for the Benin visas. You only have a, a short window, only 30 days before you go on these trips. And I was able to get my visa and Lori's visa for Benin. And I, I tried to apply for our young son, Luke. And I got through all the, all the way through. And all of a sudden, I got one of these 403 errors. You ever got one of those on your screens? And this is, it says it's blank. And so I was like, what does this mean? And come to find out, apparently a 403 error means that the server knows who you are, but it doesn't like you. <laughs> and it won't let you have access to the next level. You need somebody else to come and let you have access. I'll say that again. You need somebody else to come and to let you have access. Well, in the case of Ezra 1.1, God used an unexpected person named Cyrus to let the Jews have access to serving in the temple once again. He used this Cyrus, king of Persia. Uh, Cyrus has been called Cyrus the Great or Cyrus the Elder, and he created the largest empire the world had yet seen. And though he respected the customs and religions of the lands he conquered, this was still the king that oppressed the Jews. And yet, think about this, God used him. In fact, if you can imagine, over 200 years earlier, Isaiah prophesied about Cyrus. I want you to see again that God's promises always come true. Check out Isaiah 44, verse 28. Isaiah 44, you can look this up again in the table of contents. Isaiah 44, verse 28. Remember, this was written like 200 years, over 200 years ahead of time. And here's what we read in Isaiah 44, verse 28. God says this. Who says of Cyrus? He gets really specific. He is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. I was talking to our um, pastoral intern, Kyle Rohrer, and he's like, I'm just blown away 
that God's word is true. And, and he talked about this, this exact passage in Isaiah 44, verse 28, about Cyrus. This is not, this is very concrete. Had to be proven. And God's word proves itself true. I think if you could put it this way, just to kind of help us understand, think about that schoolyard bully. Think about that person, that unrelenting boss. Think about that difficult person. And all of a sudden, they have a shift in their heart, and they say, hey, you know what? Yeah, you can have Sundays off, and you can go to church. And why don't you come and tell me more about that? What? Or, you know, maybe it's a teacher who's been hard against, against Christianity, mocking Christianity. And all of a sudden, they're like, wow, you know what? Um, why don't you do an assignment telling me about why you think Christianity is true? And they talk to you afterwards. That's what's happening here. This pagan king, this king that did not believe in God, all of a sudden gives access to the Jews to go back to the land. It's amazing. And why did this happen? Well, what does it say in Ezra 1.1? There's a key phrase. You need to underline this. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. I love this because it gives me great hope. See, most of our governmental leaders nowadays want little to do with God. And it feels hostile towards Christianity in our culture and country. But God can stir up mayors and council people and premiers, and prime ministers, and presidents. And let us have access for the gospel of Jesus Christ. God will use somebody unexpected to accomplish his purposes in your life. Do you believe that today? We know this ultimately because God used the most unexpected person to accomplish his purpose in your life. And maybe you don't even realize that today. See, God used a little baby we dedicated a little baby, Malachi. God used a little baby who was born in a lowly stable to a, a young couple, very poor young couple. And this little boy grew up to be a tradesperson, to be a carpenter. And he lived in a very backwater town in, in, in Nazareth and in Galilee. And yet God used this young man to teach us about who God really was. Because, you see, this, this child was God himself come in the flesh. God the Son. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to become the ultimate unexpected somebody to accomplish the greatest purpose in your life. You see, Jesus came to die on a cross and to rise again so that you might have life. So that you would know and have access to God the Father. Only Jesus can fix our 403 error and let us have access to God the Father in heaven. Have you welcomed this unexpected Jesus into your life? Will you say yes to him even more so than a young woman says to a young man on one knee, for her hand in marriage. 
God will use Jesus Christ unexpectedly to accomplish his purposes in your life in profound ways if you'll let him. That's true for if this is your first time at church or your thousandth. God wants to accomplish his purposes through somebody unexpected. Let's pray. God, I pray that everyone's heard this message, would receive Christ, would know this, Jesus. You are so gracious to us that you would send your son, Jesus, to us. And God, we pray that you would help us to have our hope fixed in Christ alone, for he is our hope. He is our stay. And uh, God, I pray that if this message is resonated with somebody and they've never received Christ, they would tell somebody, they would tell me, tell others that they need Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And if you agree with me, please say amen. Amen. amen.